Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. Hello, my name is Melina Lee Williams Haas, and I'm an alcoholic. And it's at this point that you're all supposed to say, Hi, Melina, as though this were the beginning of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. But it's not. Or maybe it is. Maybe this is my private (laughs) AA meeting so that I can reach out to other people who might be on the struggle bus at this time of the year. Even if you don't celebrate the Western Christmas Christian holiday, pretty much every Westerner at the end of this year is faced with holiday shit. If you are working in an office, you've got office parties, and most people in the world acknowledge January 31st as a big transitional day, a crossover into the new year with all the pressures and bullshit that I can bring with New Year's resolutions. Now, I'm not a New Year's resolution kind of person because I don't like to put that kind of pressure on myself because I know that there are very fucking few things that I can stick with for any period of time. I have, however, stuck with being sober since March 14th, 2007. And this is something that is very humbling for me and also a point of pride. It's very humbling because the first moment where I realized that I really needed help, that my alcoholism was not just out of control, but in the process of actively killing me, I had to make a lot of changes to my life. And I was terrified because I knew in my gut that I am not a person who commits to change. I live with change. I live in the fluidity of change. One of my superpowers is being able to, on the fly, cope with pretty much any goddamn situation the world can throw at me. I go into what I call reptile mode. Blood runs cold, eyes narrow, completely focused on the shit that's going on at hand. Afterwards, I might have some trauma. I might break down. But in that moment, I am so focused and so in control. Now, I couldn't see living my entire life like that, essentially. That's what sobriety meant to me when I first considered the fact that I was going to have to stop drinking. And the idea of, quote unquote, the rest of my life in all capital letters, being alcohol free was freakish and unnatural and something I could not see as being sustainable. And yet here we are. You can do the math yourself. It's been since March 14th, 2007 that I have consumed alcohol. Actually, it was a day before then, (laughs) the night before then, actually. I stopped drinking the night before I went to rehab, which turned out to be a colossal mistake 
I don't think many people know that when you are completely, severely dedicated and devoted to drinking yourself to death, sudden cessation of that alcohol actually can be lethal. Alcohol withdrawal can kill people. And it's such a tragedy that more people don't know that. Alcohol withdrawal cold turkey, which means just stopping all alcohol intake, can kill and I don't think enough attention is paid to that. When I went to get checked in to the rehab center I was going to, the nurse was tripping because I told her I'd stopped drinking the night before and my vitals were off the chart. And that's because I stopped drinking. And it's pretty certain that's also what killed Amy Winehouse in one of the more tragic deaths that I have seen in my lifetime. I really loved her music and I really empathize so deeply with her and her struggles with success. But this is not going to be like a depressing, here's why alcohol has been so fucked up and here's the tragedy and oh my God, the holidays and ah, it's not going to be about that. Hopefully in me discussing my coping mechanisms and my struggles, folks who were also struggling along with addiction can find themselves in here as well. And for those who maybe have people in their lives who are struggling, perhaps this might be a window into you seeing your way into helping them. If you're someone who is curious about kink and BDSM but has no doggone idea where to start, I got you. First off, I'm the co-author of a book called Playing Well with Others, The Guide to Exploring, Navigating, and Discovering the Kink, Leather, and BDSM Relationships. You can find that on Amazon and I'll put a link in the description, but let's say you want a more personal one-on-one -on -one interaction. I got you, fam. Go to thekinkdoula.com. It's T-H-E-K-I-N-K-D-O-U-L-A. You may be familiar with the concept of doulas from childbirth, but what about rebirthing yourself? What about going deep within and uncovering the secrets and wondrous discoveries that maybe, just maybe, have been hiding from you or you've been hiding from yourself for a long time? You want to talk about your secret fetish, your kink, Perhaps just you're curious about how to expand your mind a little bit more into becoming the person you truly want to be. Contact me at thekinkdoula.com and let's see who you can become. After I got sober in 2007, I had several friends of mine who had told me that they had really wanted several times to stage an intervention. And in one case, it actually kind of tried to do it. And I said, I don't know what you mean. And it was one instance where they had concernedly asked me if I wasn't worried about my drinking, if I didn't think I was drinking too much and they were really worried about it. And I said, no, I'm fine. I'm just going through a bad stretch. I know I'm drinking a little bit more right now. I just had a breakup. Shit is rough. What are you going to do? And they backed down. And here's the thing, since this time, there have been many, 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 many shows on addiction, on rehabilitation, on interventions, on how to do them. And while initially they may seem like pornography of suffering and just some sort of pernicious creep of us being entertained by other people's stress and trauma and, and drama and sorrow and suffering. But I'll tell you this. I believe that seeing these stories told actually helps people to have more empathy, more sympathy, see what the struggle really is from the inside, and maybe have the guts to step into the lives of someone that they see is struggling with addiction and take some steps that might 
actually make a difference. I had several instances where some of my behaviors that were stressful and painful to other people to, to witness were sort of written off as just, well, that's just Bill being weird. And the reality is I know in hindsight that there were quite a few people who were very much aware of the fact that I had a drinking problem, but no one said it until pretty much the very end. And while it is absolutely true that only I could make the decision to stop drinking and it was very important for me to get to the point, that rock bottom that you hear about before I could even make the turnaround. But the reality is there need to be consequences. And we need as alcoholics to know that the consequences are because of our alcoholism, not because of some sort of moral failing. Because addiction is not a moral failing. It is an emotional and psychological problem that then delves into the physiological when it becomes impossible for us to make decisions that would be to our benefit. There was one point where I had applied for a job and someone who I'd worked with for years at that point said that they did not think I was qualified for the job. Now, the reason they did not think I was not qualified for the job was because I was a freaking alcoholic and the job had a great deal of responsibility. And that makes a lot of sense. And if this person had said to me, the reason I don't think you're good for this job is because you drink too much, that would have been a cold water shock to my face. Instead, I assume that this person thought that I was not skilled enough for this job. And that became an emotional wound. And the reality is, as a sober human being, I would have been amazing at this job, but I was not a sober human being. And so rather than assuming that it was my alcoholism and not who I was and not my skill set that denied me this job, my ego suffered a huge blow. And years later, I was able to look back and go, oh my gosh, that's what that was about. But it wasn't made clear to me. And one of the things about being an addict that's really very true is that we think that we are getting away with some shit time and time again, and we certainly are not. But this is the terror of addiction. And this is the thing that people who are not addicts have a difficult time understanding and empathizing with. There's not one day when we wake up and go, hey, you know what? Today is the day I'm going to be an alcoholic, except maybe in leaving Las Vegas. I think there was a point where he just made that decision, but that's an unusual case. So I really beg people who are not themselves addicts, but maybe see addicts or addiction in the lives of people around them to take a deep breath and understand that this is not a moral failing. This is someone who was struggling and made a choice to use alcohol to help the pain. It was not the best choice to use alcohol to numb that pain, but it's an easy choice. It's an available choice. It's a legal choice. And it's a choice that you can make in front of people at dinner. At the average dinner table, if you whipped out some works and started shooting up and cooking some shit on a spoon, or if you bust out your crack pipe and flamed on, most people would be a bit put out. But no one thinks twice if you have a glass of wine with dinner. They might not know that you had a bottle of wine before you went out to dinner so that you could pregame, so that you could survive the dinner. Right, Because this is so often what addiction is about. Our addiction is a way to cope with things in our lives that feel out of our control. 
And one of the things that was great was that once I was drunk, I didn't really care. I didn't mind that I was not in control of all of these aspects of my life because I was just feeling okay until the alcohol took over and I was no longer in charge. I don't know if I can describe for you who have not experienced it, the feeling of your body doing something that you have no control over that you really don't want to be doing, but God damn it, you're going to do it anyway. And that's what it feels like to be an active alcoholic and drink when inside your head, you are screaming, you need to stop. You need to stop. Don't drink. Don't drink that. Stop. And yet it's going down your throat and it's in your stomach. And then by the time the battle is over, you're already a little bit high. And maybe tomorrow is the day that you'll think about it. I know that the end of a year and the beginning of a new one can seem incredibly stressful. If you are struggling with addiction, here's my commercial for getting yourself some fucking help. Whatever that help looks like. Alcoholics Anonymous can be problematic for many people. I found it incredibly useful for the first couple of years, probably year and a half to two years of my sobriety. It was invaluable. And then after that, I felt, okay, I have been to university. I want to go out into the world and experience what I want to experience with the support of a group, but without the dogma and occasionally manipulative and, and scary folks that you're going to meet in these rooms, especially when you're in a very vulnerable state. So if you are an AA person and AA works for you successfully, that is fucking fantastic. If you are someone who has decided that maybe AA was not for them because of the religious aspect or whatever else, that's okay. There are other modalities that are coming into practice now. And what's really magnificent about those is that it means that there's more of a choice because what's important is not how you get sober. What's important is that you get sober and that you stay sober if that's what's best for you. And I know it's what's best for me. And I know that for so many people, it's what's best for them. And it can be really hard. It can be really fucking hard to say to yourself, you know what? I fucked up. I went around and fucked up and got myself addicted and now I need help. But there's so many approaches now. There's so many ways to get help online. There's so many places where you can get therapy online that's reasonably priced. And so I recommend these things. I recommend that you figure out a way to live your life in a manner that's going to keep you safe and healthy and happy. And for those of us who are addicts, more often than not, sobriety is going to be the way. Now, like I said, when I first got sober, it was impossible, impossible for me to imagine doing this long term, having, having my life be empty of any way to adjust my mood or to deal with stress and problems. And the reality is a lot of people tell you shit, well, you can meditate or well, you can, you know what? I'm not a meditator. That is not what I do. What helped to keep me sober when I first got sober was my desire for service. And this is again, one of the places where I'm going to wave the flag of kinky freakiness because sobriety helped me to remember who I was as a kinky person. When I first came into the scene, I definitely was abusing alcohol, but I would not say I was fully addicted because I was able to go without alcohol for periods of time that, you know, were undetermined, were variable. And I didn't really think about it. I was not drinking every day. I was certainly not drinking in the mornings, et cetera. It was, however, during my first relationship in the scene 
that I first felt that slide towards a lack of control. And ironically, a lot of that was due to the pressure of service. So Mo, you say, the pressure in service drove you to drink. And then you're saying that service is what helped you stop drinking. Yes, I am saying that. You know why? Because human beings are complex fucking creatures. And the reality is, Anything can be a positive and a negative depending on how it's spun, depending on what you do with it. A piece of rope can be a sexy item of bondage or it can be used to hang someone. Yeah. And so when you're playing, when you're in the scene, that rope is beautiful and awesome, but then it can also be used to kill. And I feel like that is the same thing that is true of alcohol. For many people, alcohol is a wonderful, delightful substance that brings joy and pleasure to their lives. And that's great. And then for some folks, that joy and pleasure becomes something to hold on to because we're afraid, because we're in pain, because we're hurting, because we're angry, because we're happy. This is the thing. Alcohol is an all-purpose drug. You can use it when you're fucked up. You can use it when you're sailing and feeling joyous and terrific and wonderful. But the reality is eventually I got to the point where I was using it in ways that were not healthy for me. And in my first service relationship, there was always a bottle of vodka in the freezer. And it was okay for us to take a dip of it. Well, let's just say that probably the person who was running that household was taking quite a few dips themselves. And in retrospect, I think I was not the only one who was on the edge of a problem. But that is, again, not my story to tell. What I can tell you is on those nights when one of the other submissives who was in service to this dominant was making me nuts and I had no outlet, no one I could speak to about it, I might go to the freezer for a shot. Or if my dominant was being particularly particular about how dinner was prepared and it was aggravating me because leave me alone. I know how to fucking do this. I might've gone in and taken a shot. And on the one Thanksgiving where we had way, way too many people in the kitchen and one of the people in the kitchen chose to run tell that to one of the other dominants in the house who then ratted me out. So now in addition to being aggravated and overwhelmed, I'm now quote unquote in trouble I may have hit that bottle a few too many times. And when you're in active service and you're already aggravated, a few shots of vodka are not necessarily going to rectify the situation. In fact, it just made things much, much worse. Once I did get sober, I'll tell you, I was in a local rehab in San Francisco. That was where I was living at the time. And the last day of rehab coincided with the first day of a workshop in which I was supposed to be assisting. Madame Cleo Dubois, who was one of the legends of BDSM and kink and body modification, was holding a seminar where she does a dominant training workshop. And I would frequently volunteer to be one of the stunt bottoms since as a very verbal person, I was able to give feedback to the dominants and tops as they were learning the ropes, literally. And I had that commitment and I did not want to fuck it up because I had so much in my life. I felt that I had fucked up to that point. Right. And so I asked to be released one day early so that I could get myself together to go to this, this training. 
And I will never forget walking into that studio, very apprehensive because I mean, I had spent the past 30 days in rehab. I had posted publicly in, in all the BDSM community boards and all the websites where I had a presence. I had posted that, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I'm in rehab. I'll see you in about a month. And I'll tell you, the outpouring of love was amazing. The people who I never knew had alcohol problems came to me and shared that they too were sober, that they too were struggling, that they too had the same journey that I had. And they were there to receive me and to be there for me as I grew into my sobriety. But as I walked into that studio and received the warmest, longest hug from Cleo Dubois, she told me about people in her family. And she told me about people that she knew and loved who had struggled and how proud she was to have me there that day. When you are an alcoholic, you don't feel very proud of yourself very often. In fact, I spent many years living in a pit of shame and humiliation. And I felt like such a magical unicorn because I had everyone fooled. Everyone thought I had my shit together for so many years until it started crumbling apart so visibly that even the slowest person who only kind of knew me would probably know that something was wrong, even if they didn't know what it was. But the leathery bosom of the kink community welcomed me back not just with open arms, but eagerly. One of my friends who I had no idea was sober and had been sober for decades mentioned to me that he was really sad that I got sober after the local kink AA meeting, which was called Sobriety and Miracles. Get it? Sobriety and Miracles, S&M. Yes, perverts, we are a clever lot. You'll be shocked to learn that meeting eventually crashed, burned, disintegrated, and fell into the swamp because alcoholic, kinky people? How could there possibly be any drama? I know you're shocked. <laughs> and so I said, God damn, I really wish there was that meeting. Why, not, why, why doesn't someone start it up? Why don't you start it up, dude? And he said, well, maybe that could be your service to the community. And I was like, damn it. All right. These fucking calls to service. And so I did. I started a kink meeting called Safe Ward, which last I heard, this was pre-plague, but last I heard was still going strong. The local dungeon offered us space to hold our meetings. And let me tell you, there was nothing quite as dope as being in an AA meeting in a dungeon and sitting on a spanking bench while you're giving your testimonial about how awesome sobriety is. And so many kinky people over the years came through that. And I was so proud to be able to have kickstarted that and to get that going. It was so amazing to be able to be out about being an alcoholic and have other people in my community support me. People in the theater community, some supported me. Some folks were just like, yeah, we'll wait and see. And of course, a reputation is difficult to overcome sometimes. But that's okay. Again, I made my bed. I'm going to lie in it, roll around in it, get back up and take the next thing as it comes. Because that's what being sober means. It means getting up in the morning and taking the day on the terms that the day is dictating. Sometimes those terms are rough. And sometimes I get really very sad. And sometimes I get really very angry. And sometimes I get really very excited and I want to celebrate but I don't really miss alcohol. 
one of the blessings that I received when I got sober, I'll never forget being on a bus on the Muni, on the 14, actually, on mission. One of those articulated buses where <laughs> towards the back, there's always a party because it's way too far for the bus driver to see what's going on. And I'm sitting back there on my way home from downtown. And all of a sudden I got hit with this crazy wave of nausea. And I was like, Whoa! and I looked around and there's this dude sitting next to me who had opened up one of those cheap ass tiny bottles of Taka Vodka, which oh, yeah, this shit was like a dollar for a half pint. It was just, it smelled like nail polish remover and sadness. <laughs> And I'm sitting there and this dude had cracked open a bottle and the smell hit me dead ass in the face. And I don't know what happened to my face because I turned and looked at this guy and he just blanched and screwed the top back on and was like, sorry, lady, and tucked it away. And I was like, geez. And I realized, well, that's weird because taka vodka is not the best vodka. The fact that I just felt so sick smelling it was just, wow, it's weird thought maybe it was just, I was lightheaded, whatever. And then over the next couple of years or so, I realized that not only did I not have a desire for alcohol, but the scent of it made me nauseous. I sort of just became my own anti-abuse factory. I don't know how that happened. I've met many other people who said that, that happened to them after they got sober, but I'm pretty grateful for it. It's nice to have that reinforcement. But the reality is that once I realized what alcohol was doing to me and that it was doing nothing beneficial for me, I placed it into the realm of poison. I look at a bottle of Jack Daniels the same way I would look at a bottle of bleach. Sure, I could drink that bottle of bleach and the circumstances that would occur thereafter would certainly be deleterious to my existence. And I look at booze the same way. It's right up there with a jug of strychnine, a bottle of bleach, a can of Drano, bottle of Jack Daniels. It's all the same for me at this point in my life. It's very real that I am completely aware of my own mortality. And true facts, since we're doing a relevatory content moment here, I am absolutely terrified of death. The day that I woke up and figured out that I needed to get sober was the same day that I woke up and saw myself as a corpse in the mirror. It wasn't even an illusion. It was that I saw myself dead. I saw my death in front of me. And I was so terrified in a way that I have never been before, purely and simply because I love being alive. Even when it's rough, even when I don't know how I'm going to make it, I love my existence. And this is all I want for you. I want you to love your life. I want you to love it so much that you'll do anything, even give up what seems like your one comfort, that drug that you're leaning on, whatever that drug is. Take a look at yourself and see how beautiful and valuable you are. Oh my God, there's only one of you. There's only one of me. And I can't drink that away. I can't let this light go out under a wave of whiskey. So this holiday season, this end of the year season, these darkest nights of the year season for some of us, 
For some of you on the flip side, you're going to have to put this in your <laughs> put this in your to-do list to listen to whenever you celebrate the new year. But this darkness, this changeover is also a time where you can reflect and acknowledge your successes. And even if you are an addict, if you're hearing my voice right now, you are alive. And so somehow you still have hope. And I have hope for you that you will find the way, the best way, the most supportive way, the most beautiful way to live your life fully. Please do not deprive yourself and the people in your life of your light. You matter and you are so important and you are so beautiful to me. And I know to someone else. It might not feel like it sometimes, but I promise you, you being alive is vital. I hope to join you again very soon. I love you. Hang in there because you're fucking awesome. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon.